Well, it's a privilege to preach today. Uh, it's actually my first time preaching uh, since we launched the site here. And um, if you didn't catch my name before, my name's Charles. I have the privilege of leading the site. And so it's a, a great, great privilege to be able to open up the Bible today and, and preach. And uh, what a fantastic start we've made as a site. Um, you'll see some pictures coming up on the screen in a moment. Uh, we launched only, what, four, five weeks ago. And uh, we had a fantastic launch Sunday and you'll see a picture in a moment, I'm sure. But we had a fantastic launch Sunday. This room was packed full of people. It's been so great over the last couple of weeks. So many new people stepping towards us and people coming because they received flyers through their doors or saw an advertisement. Um, we're so, so thankful to God for what he's doing and so grateful to see so many newcomers and guests uh, with us. I'm really excited about the site here. We are a community on a mission. We're about building community and friendship and getting to know one another but we're also on mission because we want to reach and serve and make a positive impact in this community and beyond. And so if you're new here, that's what we're about. We're about being a community on a mission, and uh, we'd love for you to join us. We really believe that the God of the Bible speaks to us through the Holy Spirit as we open up the Bible. And so I'm going to preach today from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, to chapter 5, verse 2. If you have a Bible, then you can turn there. Otherwise, the words will come up on the screen in a moment. Uh, It's a bit of a long passage. Uh, try and uh, stick with me, and then we'll try and unpack what this really means uh, for us today. But I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, uh, to chapter 5, verse 2. As a prisoner of the Lord then... Oh, sorry, I'm reading the wrong verse myself. Verse 17. <laughs> Good start, isn't it? Verse 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to, be, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin." Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something, uh, something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Don't be a baby. Don't be a baby. It's a phrase that we often hear in the playground, in classrooms, in other places, perhaps in the family home between married couples. Don't be a baby. Don't be a baby. 
It's used as an insult to tell someone to grow up. And uh, it's particularly cruel if you are, in fact, a baby, right? It's a bit harsh if you tell a baby to don't be a baby. It doesn't make sense. But essentially, it's a phrase that we use to tell someone to stop behaving like a baby if they aren't one. You see, every single one of us expects change to happen in our lives, right? We all expect to grow. We expect to see progress and development as we mature. My family uh, got together last weekend, and uh, it was a great occasion. I rarely get to see my whole family. I have uh, two nieces and one nephew. Uh, my nephew here, uh, he's got a great name. His name is Aslan. Aslan James Latumba Whitfield. He's going to grow up to be something special, right? Uh, then on this side, we've got uh, Talia on the left and Naya on the right. Behind is uh, their dad, my brother Chris. Uh, there's me in the middle and my younger brother David. He looks a lot older than all of us, doesn't he? Um, but this is my, my family. We got together, and Talia, my eldest uh, niece, she, uh, she was with us. She started counting the cards that she was playing with. You know, one, two, three, four, and so on. And I turned around, and I was like, oh, Talia, well done. This is amazing. You can count. Well done. You know, I was trying to be an affirming uncle, you know, and all that. And my, my brother Chris, her dad, turned around and said, Charles, what are you doing? She's five years old, for crying out loud. I was like, oh, yeah. How stupid of me, right? How stupid. She's five years old. Now, in my defense, I rarely get to see them. Um, but still, we expect children to grow and mature and develop, don't we? We expect them to change over time. And uh, we expect the same for Zion, who we dedicated today. We expect him to grow up, to become a man of God, a man of great faith, who will make a positive impact in this world. But we also expect great things from ourselves, don't we? I'm sure many of you year on year make uh, and set goals, right? We set financial goals. We, we set you know, a goal for our diet to become fitter. You might set a goal in your workplace to get that promotion, to get paid more perhaps. You set goals for you know, trying to get more knowledge in a certain subject. Maybe you, know, you set goals to try and beat that addiction problem or maybe to become a better husband or wife. But we all set goals. We all want to see progress and maturity. And we also want to see it in other people, right? And we get frustrated and disappointed when we don't see it. I see it in my own life. You know, I, uh, I'm, 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 well, I'm just turned 30 years old. I'm an adult. And yet, believe me, I still can't de- de- do DIY, all right? I still can't cook, all right? I'm like, why? I need to make progress. You know, I think to myself, you know, I'm still making those silly mistakes. And Amy wishes it as well, right? I'm like, I'm still making those same mistakes. I'm still doing what I shouldn't do. What am I doing? I want to see progress in my life. And I'm sure you can see it in your own life where you think, oh, I want to make progress. We all long for it. We all long to grow. But the question is, how? How do we grow to maturity? How do we get there? Now, of course, I'm aware in this room that there'll be some people here who have got faith in Jesus, and there'll be others of you that, that don't have faith in Jesus. Perhaps you're on a journey. Of course, as I said before, you're all very welcome. And for those of you who haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, I'm hoping that today you'll see what the Christian life looks like. And it might you know, encourage you to ask questions or find out more. Um, and it perhaps, maybe, even at the end, you may want to put your trust in Jesus, maybe for the very first time. And for others of us, it may be a challenge uh, to come back to God and trust him with our whole lives. I've just read, of course, from the book of Ephesians. This is a letter from the Apostle Paul. And Paul is writing a letter to these Christians in Ephesus around the time of 60 AD, so approximately 30 years after the death of Jesus. And this letter is essentially split into two halves. The first half is all very exciting. 
He encourages the, the Christians and he reminds them of the good news of Jesus. He says things like, you know, you guys have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. He says you've been adopted into his family. He says you have redemption through faith in him. He says that you've been given the promised Holy Spirit. And in chapters 2 and 3, he says that through faith, you've been made spiritually alive. And now you can approach God with freedom and confidence. That's all in the first three chapters. In the second half of the letter, it gets a bit more serious, a bit more down to earth. And he's, asked, he's answering the question, so what? So what? You've put your faith in Jesus. So what? You've been forgiven for your sins. So what? You have redemption. You have his righteousness. So what? And the second half is about practical application. So what? What does it mean that you're a Christian? How does that affect your whole life? What, that, what implications are there for you and what implications are there for me? That is the second half. And it's before the verses that I just read earlier on in chapter 4, Paul literally says to the Christians, stop being infants and grow up. Stop being infants that are influenced by the deceitful scheming and teaching of false teachers. Stop being impacted by them and grow up. That's basically what he says. And then he goes on to say, how do we do this? How do we grow up? And the first thing he says is live differently to the surrounding culture. Live differently to the surrounding culture. It seems to me that our culture has lost its way somewhat. See, our culture today, we see gang violence and knife crime on the rise. In our culture today, we still see racial discrimination. And it's evident that black and ethnic minority people are still underrepresented in senior roles in the workplace. In our culture today, we still see inequality between men and women in the workplace. In our culture, we're still seeing women and girls increasingly objectified and sexually harassed in the street and in the workplace. In our culture today, we are still seeing couples who choose to live together instead of entering the covenant commitment of marriage. We still see individualism rather than community cohesion. When it, we live in a time when people you know, are, are saying that they feel lonely, yet we are the most connected we've ever been in history. We live in a culture where social media promotes self-obsession and anxiety around body image. It negatively impacts people's mental health. We live in a culture where people continue to, of course, reject God and seemingly do whatever makes them feel good. Of course, there's good in our culture, right? We see people do amazing things. We see the poor and the disadvantaged being looked after. We see charities doing amazing things, making a positive impact in this world. But in many ways, like the ones I've just listed, our culture has lost its way in many ways. And the culture that Paul was writing to wasn't too dissimilar. He was writing to those in Ephesus where they would basically had a, a Greek goddess called Artemis. And they would set up a huge temple to this Greek goddess Artemis. And they'd go and they'd worship Artemis. Not only that, but in the culture, they were full of drunkenness and you know, sexual impurity and immorality and all sorts going on. And he writes to them in this culture. And he says to them, stop it. Stop it. No longer live like the people around you. Why? Because they've got wrong thinking and wrong living. They don't know the God of the Bible. They're separated from him. They're not, you know, they're living for all kinds of impurity. And he says to them, stop it. They've got wrong thinking, wrong living. Don't do what the culture around you does. I'm sure every single one of us in the room has had that experience where you, uh, you know, see a child or a teenager doing something they shouldn't do. 
And you go up to them and you say, why, why, why are you doing that? And what do they say? Because everyone else is doing it. Isn't that what they say? Because everyone else is doing it. And Paul says, stop it. Stop behaving like a child. Stop behaving like a teenager that just says, oh, I'm doing it because everyone else is doing it. No, that's not the way to true grown-up Christianity. Don't just say that everyone else is doing it, so it's okay. Now, in contrast, Paul says to them, you didn't come to know Christ that way. You didn't come to know Christ that way. So actually, you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to live differently. You've heard about the truth that is in Jesus. You've been made new. And so you have right thinking and therefore right living. Paul says elsewhere in the letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he says, those of you who put your trust in Christ are now a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So if you're in Christ, you're now a new creation. And here he says to put off the old self and put on the new self. Essentially, it's off with the old and it's on with the new. Now, when I was uh, preparing this, um, a story came to mind. Okay? Now, the illustration I'm about to share breaks down on a few levels. Okay? But look past that. I'm about to let you in on a little secret of mine. Okay? Now, believe it or not, I used to be really, really cool. All right? Believe it or not, when I was growing up, well, I was setting trends all over the place. Okay? I would wear you know, a nice, thick silver chain around my neck. I uh, wore, wore sleeveless vests, would you believe, to show off my muscles. Okay, I was, I was, honestly, I was really cool. And it's one of those where, you, you, know, you know when you like look back at the, uh, you like look back at pictures and you think, what on earth was I wearing, right? It was one of them, it was one of them. I had dodgy hair, you know, I, uh, I on occasion bleached my hair blonde, all right? Um, I thought I'd show you some pictures, but I thought it'd be too embarrassing. So, honestly, it's one of those, you look, you look back and you think, I, got, oh, I had dodgy hair, wore dodgy gear, but anyway, so... When me and Amy met a few years ago, Amy's my wife, the lovely lady here. Give her a round of applause. So when Amy and I met, I looked very, very different. And uh, I met Amy at church and uh, started to realize, wow, this girl's amazing. Not only is she beautiful, but she is smart. Right? Amy got a first at Cambridge. Right? Not only that, she got 11 A stars in GCSEs. 11 A stars. Wow. And at the time, she was actually working with uh, Oxford University students. So I was thinking, man, I am punching way above my weight. All right? I, I need to do something drastic about this. I need to change my gear. So basically what I did is I got a whole new wardrobe. All right? I took out the dodgy gear. I went to uh, the shopping center and bought a whole new wardrobe. And this wardrobe consisted of like, you know, chinos, shirts, nice jumpers, even got some aftershave, some new shoes. It was great. Now, now you laugh. All right? my, my friends find, found it hilarious. But the best way I can describe this, right, it was like going from Will Smith the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? It was like this. It was moving from that to Colton Banks, all right? That's what it was. You've seen Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? It was that kind of radical transformation, all right? Now, as I said, I understand that the illustration falls down on some levels. Don't take it too seriously. And I often look back and I think, maybe I went too far, <laughs> to too far extremes. But hear this, it worked. We got married, all right? We got married, all right? So, let there be a lesson to you, right? Guys, it's good to look nice, all right? But anyway, in a similar way, all right? This is where it stretches. In a similar way, we are taught as Christians to take off the old self that's corrupted by evil desires, deceit, lust, dishonesty, rage, malice, anger, etc. 
and to put on the new self. Get a new wardrobe. Put on the new clothes that's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. It's literally off with the old and it's on with the new. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 13 that when he was a child, he talked like a child. He fought like a child. He reasoned like a child. But when he became a man, he put childish ways behind him. When he became a man, he put childish ways behind him. If we're going to grow up to godly, you know, mature Christianity, we're to take off the old self, we're to put on the new self. We're to stop being children and to be adults, be men and women. Take off the old, put on the new. And Paul goes on to describe some of the things we're to put off and some of the things we're to put on. He says, in kind of following God's example, he says this, literally, lies are out, truth is in. Look at verse 25. If you've got a Bible open, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Paul's specifically talking about Christians here because he finishes in verse 25 by saying, because we're members of one body. In other words, we're members of one family. We're here as one family, right? Truth is in, lies are out. I wonder whether you, for you personally, whether you've got people who you can speak truth to and also receive truth from. We live in a culture, don't we, that says, go and do whatever you feel like. No one has any right to tell you what to do. But actually, every single one of us knows that it's really, really helpful when you have someone who can speak truth into your life. I regularly meet with a group of guys who I've known for a number of years. We've built up love and trust for one another. And we meet once a month for breakfast. It's fun, but it's also a bit serious. You know, we tell each other the truth. Sometimes it's encouraging. Sometimes it's like, you know, we tell people stuff that they don't want to hear. But we do it out of love because we have a relationship with one another. And so I wonder, have you got that kind of relationship with people where you can speak the truth to them and receive the truth of them from them in love? Because it's extremely, extremely helpful. If you haven't got that, can I encourage you to be part of a group at King's? Groups are a great way to get to know people. They're a great way to start building those friendships where you can speak the truth in love to one another. My group met last week and we had a great time. We opened up, we talked, we were vulnerable, and we're able to speak the truth into one another's lives. So if you haven't got that, can I seriously strongly encourage you to join a group here at King's? There's plenty of them going on throughout the week. And part of you know, speaking the truth in love to one another, speaking the truth, is to resolve problems quickly, as Paul goes on to say. Because otherwise, we get a build-up of resentment and anger. He says, doesn't he, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. You know, it's okay to be angry, right? There's righteous anger that exists in God and, in, and exists in us. It's, right, it's okay to be angry at the right things. But he says, do not let that lead you to sin. And Paul's essentially saying, look, resolve issues quickly. Don't let bitterness and resentment build up. Keep short accounts with one another. Talk to people. Great advice for married couples. If you're married in the room, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Don't go to sleep when you're still angry. Why? Because you could leave the door open for the devil to come in to your marriage. And resentment and anger and bitterness builds up. It's great advice for married couples, but it's also great advice for singles. If you're here, you know, temptation is with your friends and family and colleagues and so on, just to let things be left unsaid to not address the difficult issues. But Paul's saying, look, resolve issues quickly. Go and speak the truth to one another. Don't let anger and bitterness, and do not let the door open for the devil to come in. This new life is also characterized by the fact that stealing is out and sharing is in. As he says in verse 28, 
And what I love about these verses is that it's not just a list of don'ts, but it provides a positive, right? It provides a positive for us. Don't steal, but instead do something so you have something to share with others. So this new life is to be characterized by generosity and sharing. You know, I love it when I hear stories in the church, as I have done recently, of people inviting one another around for meals. I love that. I love it when I hear stories of, you know, families or people um, deciding to cook meals for people who've recently had a child to help them out. I love that. That's community, right? I love it when, you know, I hear stories of people, you know, voluntarily stepping up and saying, I'll, I'll babysit for your children. I love that because it's a spirit of generosity and sharing. Stealing is out and sharing is in. And also this new life is characterized by the fact that that discouragement is out and encouragement is in. Verse 29, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Whilst I was uh, preparing this message, I really felt that God would speak to people who perhaps have got a tendency to discourage others. Maybe uh, you're here and you're maybe the type of person, if you're honest, that has the tendency to be overly critical, to put others down, to discourage other people. Perhaps that, you know, you're that kind of person who is overly critical. And I felt that God would speak to you today. And again, particularly for parents, because uh, if you're a parent in the room, I know that often it can be tempting to be overly critical of our children, right? And discourage them and have a negative impact on them. And Proverbs says that the tongue holds the power of life and death. Literally, in our tongue, it holds the power of life and death, the ability to build up and also to knock down. And so can I encourage parents here today to encourage your kids in the right thing? Paul says in Ephesians, a little bit later on in the letter, he says in Ephesians 6 verse 4, do not exasperate your children Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So parents, can I encourage you not to exasperate, irritate your children, nag them constantly, (laughs) although it can be tempting, I'm sure. But try and encourage them in the right things. Build them up. Train them, instruct them in the ways of God. And if you are here and you're not a parent, can I encourage the rest of us as a community to continue to encourage one another, to build one another up, and not to be overly critical with each other. Finally, This new life is characterized by the fact that living without God is out and living with God is in. Throughout this message, you might be thinking, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? How am I going to, you know, how how is truth going to be in and lies out? How am I going to speak the truth? How am I going to encourage? How am I going to, you know, share with other people? How am I going to do this? Well, the encouragement here is that someone has gone before us. Someone has gone before us you on your behalf. If you're a Christian here, you know already that you're a child of God. You know that you've been adopted into his family. But you know what? There is another child of God who has gone before us. There's another child of God who didn't make the same mistakes that we do. There's another child of God who, you know, was perfect in every way and died a sacrificial death on our behalf. Jesus. It's his name, right? Jesus is the very child of God who came into this world as a human being and lived a perfect life for us. He spoke truth and he embodied truth. He embodied everything that I've been talking about and he did it for us. You see, Jesus literally only spoke truth. You know that? 
He only spoke truth. In 1 Peter 2, verse 22, it says, he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. No deceit. Can you imagine someone living his whole life, living truth, speaking truth? He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He spoke truth. He lived truth. Not only that, but he lived for God alone. You know that after his baptism, he was tempted by the devil. And the devil came to him and showed him all the kingdoms of the whole world and said to Jesus, I'll give you all this as long as you bow down to me and worship the devil. And Jesus said, away from me, Satan. Worship the Lord and him only. Jesus spoke truth. He embodied truth. He lived for the God alone. Also, Jesus was generous and shared with those in need. Think about it for a second. At a wedding feast, he turned water into wine to save the couple the embarrassment of running out of wine. He gave people wine in abundance, the life and soul of the party. Also, he fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two bits of fish. He gave in abundance. Not only that, but Jesus encouraged others. He spent time teaching, equipping, and encouraging other people. Think about it for a second. Think about the woman at the well. Think about the woman caught in adultery. Think about Nicodemus, the religious leader. Think about the rich young ruler. Think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector. Think about Simon Peter. Think about the 12 disciples. Think about the blind beggar. Think about the demon-possessed man. Think about the little children that Jesus welcomed towards him. The list goes on and on and on. Jesus encouraged and taught many people. And finally, Jesus gave himself for us, right? Jesus The perfect man lived and died for us on the cross for our behalf. See, the punishment that we all deserve for living a life separate from God, for all the things that we've done wrong, all the rage, anger, jealousy, envy, lust, bitterness, all those things, all those things that we deserve a punishment for, he took upon himself by dying on the cross for us. He gave himself for us so that if you put your trust in Jesus and you turn from living your own way and living for him, you receive forgiveness, you receive his righteousness, you adopt into his family, you get given the Holy Spirit, and you'll live for him, live with him for eternity. Jesus did it all for us on our behalf. You know, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can expect change to happen in your life, right? You can expect to grow and mature, but not because there's anything special about you, but because there's something special about him. And he is the one who we trust. He is the one who changes us and makes us new. He's the one who renews our minds. Just going back for a second to the story I told about me and Amy. I was clearly uh, stupid, right, to think that my outward appearance would make her like me anymore, right? As we got to know each other, it was clear that what I was wearing didn't make the difference. And so often when we come to God, we can think, you know what, I need to clean myself up before I come to God. We can think, no, no, I can't, I can't come to church. I can't worship. I can't come to God and confess all that I've done. I can't. He's not going to accept me. I'm in the wrong clothes. I'm too dirty. Some of us can think, oh, you know what? Yeah, I need to, God's never going to forgive me for all the bad things I've done. He's can't. He's not going to do that. It's nonsense. It's nonsense. God welcomes all who come to him. He welcomes all who comes to him as a loving, loving father. Can I encourage you in a moment as we sing to come to him? Isn't it amazing that the God of the universe we can call Father? And he welcomes us all with open arms. And it's important to remember that God accepts you for who you are, 
But when you come to him, you won't stay as you are. You won't stay as you are. God accepts everyone for who they are. But when you come to him, you won't stay as you are. You will grow and develop. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. But as we sing, can I encourage you to come to God? Come back to him. You know, following him is the only thing that makes proper sense in this world. Following him is the only thing that makes sense. Put him first. Trust him. And through his power, by the Holy Spirit, he'll renew your mind and transform you from within. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the scriptures. We're so thankful that you speak to us today. We're so thankful for your grace and your compassion and your mercy towards us. And we're so thankful that we can approach you with freedom and confidence today. Every single one of us, created by you, loved by you, and you welcome us into a relationship with you. And I just pray for those people here today who may be struggling to come to you. I just pray that as we sing, they would receive the Holy Spirit, that they would see you anew. I pray that they would see that they can come to you as a perfect Father in heaven. In your glorious name I pray. Amen.